This is Casey Grello from Queensryche. If you're watching Drums and Guns with Brian and Jason, check it out. Now, now I have the line, this beagle is not enough, kind of in loop in, in my ear. It's kind of like the James Bond, the world is not enough. Right. No, it's, it's actually this beagle is not enough. enough. This beagle is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I, was think, I was thinking about that because, you know, I see them on deer. I see them out there and about, you see them on rabbits and everything like that. At some point, maybe there's that tick that just, whoa, fucking fell off and it was pregnant. <laughs> I, I, that's disgusting, a pregnant tick. That's... Oh, yeah. The larvae in general when impregnated <clears throat> is a disgusting concept. But uh, you mentioning the, the orca, the yes. pods. So one of the saddest music scores I've ever heard, I was watching some National Geographic show. Okay. And, and, and this oh, score, man. hey, yeah, this is actually about music. Right. And the score to this National Geographic was, was so sad because they were showing this orphaned orca, little baby orca. I honestly don't remember, but I just re- I just remember the presentation is like off in the distance. You see this group of angry, hungry sharks and this poor orca <laughs> that had like some deformity. So it only had one little flipper and it's it's just going moo, trying to swim. And it's like the music is like, oh, oh, oh. and I'm just like, this is horrible. Like, I can't watch this, but you, it ended up being the- manipulated by the music. I was. It was. It, I don't know who scored it. I don't even remember. But they did a brilliant job. I was bawling. But and the music was a large. But it was so sad. You think about a, you know, deformed orca trying to survive, and it's alone, and there are sharks, mm-hmm. and it's mooing. Do they moo? Is that is that moo? They moo. Do they now? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's what that's that's the sound that they make or or what. Maybe he knows. Well, Mike lives in, in, you know, the in down there in California. He should know all about it. Can't hear him. Are you there? Yeah. Uh, oh, okay, uh-oh. I got this. There. It is. I got oh, this. I, I think button. I got this. Why'd they bad, put it on that part of the mic? Ask me why. Why I have bad bad cables? The fuck is that? Is that better? There you go. I think I, I think that's yep. Uh, in, anyway, what what was the question there? Right? I, uh, I do orcas move? Couldn't tell you. <laughs> I don't know shit about orcas. <laughs> I, I do. I, I I do. I do. I do watch that stuff on YouTube quite a bit on just animal animal planet stuff. It is fascinating. I had the, the more you learn, the the more we learn. I had uh, and its integration of, in, in in music. I had kind of prepped my Jason. Um, so yeah, let me introduce you guys. Okay, so Jason. Yeah, I was just gonna say, is, is that how I, I pronounce it, Jason? Yes. Yes. Okay. And of course, okay. I'm Brian. But yes. anyways, um, so I had told Mike about that one time when you and I were at Bizarro 
and we were having dinner and we were talking about Mac computers and talking about the new OS system with the, you know, multi-levels and all that kind of crap. And those ladies were craning their necks trying to, what'd you just do? I uncrossed my leg and it caught a cable. Oh, Sorry. Okay. Well, hey, at least it wasn't a knife that fell off the counter and went into your thigh. It was. <laughs> it, it can always be worse. I mean. So, yeah, okay. So those ladies, yes, and those ladies that were craning themselves trying to overhear our conversation. And then the conversation rapidly went to a 180 into a, into a completely guttural type scenario and the woman falling out of her chair. Yeah, I think we changed it. Mm. Well, we changed it. We acted like we were producing a porn, I think. And as you uh, should be. (laughs) Well, we'll talk about those productions soon. Actually, we need somebody to help us with the score. Uh, But yeah, she literally almost fell out of her chair, as I recall. Yeah, it was the uh, introduction of the talent. But yeah, I, I told him we wouldn't go too deep into that. No, see, if that, if that if that were in L.A. though, that that person would would be there more like. So you're shooting porn? How how can I? They want to get involved in it, and, and you know. Yeah, let's, let's go to Chatsworth. You know okay. what I mean? Because that's that's always been a question. A question for me is how does one study to be a professional porn star? Because it's acting to a certain extent, right? I mean, you have to act like you're enjoying what's going on because it happens so often to you. It probably it's like scratching a sore after a certain point. But you know, after screwing, well, you know, I mean, you're 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 banging what twenty girls a night, whatever. I guess it's a calling. No, I mean, you you've got to have some skills. I think you've got to be you've got to be that likes you first of all, and Mm. and. um, it's porn. I don't know. They're not, you know, it's a limited degree of acting, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Some of I it just they, comes naturally. Yeah. Because, you know, with, with professional actors in Hollywood, well, we're talking about LA anyway, aren't we? Um, Even <laughs> but yeah. So with, you know, take your Harrison Fords or your whatever, you know, you'll have those people that are method actors. So now do you have porn stars that are actually method actors that stay in role, you know, the whole time? I don't know about that. <clears throat> it's, um, that's an industry, in, inter, interesting industry though. I mean, obviously it's, it's big in LA. A lot of the porn stars live in downtown LA and Chat, Chatsworth was the, the sort of breeding, you know, m- most film was shot in Chatsworth, but I don't know how that industry really survives with the digital distribution these days and people you know when we were kids remember you really had to pay for it mm-hmm. or you know <clears throat> i don't know how that industry really survives or not but it does it's still it's still a multi-billion dollar industry it is monetized heavily i just yes a- advertisements and and, and it and makes whatever billions else. and and billions. you know and, and i'm i'm very curious as well how because they're um I think it goes by the concept of like a crack dealer, right? That goes out there and gives you that little taste for free. And then you're going to come back asking for more. And he, that's when you start paying. Well, yeah. I think the sites let you have a little bit and then you can subscribe to see yeah. the full thing. But yeah. how many people do that? And how many people, I don't know. I know, I know one thing. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, the the one site, I think it was Chatterbait, had like a 400% increase in 
revenue right away. I think wow. all porn did. Yeah. And then there's that part of me that thinks that maybe it isn't that at all. Maybe in fact, uh, the porn sites are kind of becoming like all those uh, clickbait sites. Mm -hmm. Right. So that they're getting paid through advertiser dollars, not really through subscriptions. I've heard of, I mean, somebody talked about this recently. I don't, I don't remember the details. Um, it is heavily monetized and there is something yeah. about the clicks and there is something about the sites referring to other sites. And um, I suppose there's still enough people subscribing um, in the tube, you know, tube sites. I think it's, you know, you have these more personalized sites now where people, you can have one-on-one -on -one contact with like the FaceTime kind of actual uh, uh, thing. What's the only fans site that's really big. Do you know mm -hmm. that one? Yeah, OnlyFans. That's that's like well, OnlyFans is what's taken taken that to the next level. There's people on OnlyFans, so that's like a site where it it I, I I'm not on it. I know that there's straight up porn stars that are on it, and you can pay for a personalized experience. You you log in and you're in that room with that person, but it's more mainstream than that. Celebrities and people. There's a lot of people like comedians who put their feet on there. The OnlyFans just their feet or just fetish stuff and they're making huge amounts of money only only fans is and it's a subscription that that one is a certain amount per month or no i'm sorry it's actually per person you you pay whatever that person's fee is whatever their rate is to to visit that person on only fans so it might be this much for one person and that for another but somebody had recently made a million dollars in one day or in uh, less than a day on OnlyFans, and it was a big celebrity female actor actress and she wasn't doing hardcore porn she was doing like foot fetish stuff and just weird stuff but yeah she was the first one just a couple months ago to to make like a million dollars in some six hours or something of being on OnlyFans. wow wow yeah because um Gosh, I was going to talk about that. But your your pending career in porn? No, it's it's interesting that everything these days, uh, monetization, mm -hmm. is not necessarily the creation of new goods or creating of a new industry per se. It's all virtual. Look at EFTs right now. EFT. You're not on that one. EFTs, the, that's the, okay, it's like Bitcoin, but for digital uh, rights. So people are selling digital versions of, in some cases, physical things, in some cases, non-physical things, like the Jack, Jack Dorsey, I think Twitter founder, sold the first tweet, tweeted on Twitter for, I don't know how much it was, $1.8 million or something. Somebody bought that. So it's digital rights. There's artists that are making a lot of money selling, so they, they put a, a painting or a work up, and I don't think it's even a physical painting in this case. I think it might be just like a, a digital painting, but selling ownership to that painting online and making, again, astronomical amounts of money. So music, if you think about it, has always been an I and I don't understand, it's NFT, an EFT, and I don't know what the NFT stands for. We'll have to Google that while we're on here, but um, music is the thing that's picking up a lot of steam there right now, people selling music. So I think uh, Mike Shinoda just sold uh, a song he wrote 
I, I donated everything to a charity, but he sold it through NFTs and and raised, um, you know, I don't know what it was, a hundred some thousand dollars pretty quickly as an NFT. And he remarked that was more money than he would have made had he released the song through all three or four major digital streaming outlets for the next two years he made in a couple hours selling it as an nft so it's ownership of digital rights but look into it. it's pretty cool it's sort of the early people are getting in on it right now on the stocks for it it's sort of the thought about is the bitcoin mm-hmm. of uh second generation of bitcoin but digital rights yeah because when you were initially cool talking shit. about it, i thought you were talking about the kind of scenario like uh um i don't know if i should even say this guy's name um I don't want to get him involved because he's a hothead. Um, <laughs> but okay, let's say a really killer singer from a 90s band that really, really kicked ass for about three albums. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we'll leave it there. Um, <clears throat> goes on and sells his time to people. And I was wondering if he does it through one of those types of websites where he goes in and says, you know, Hey, happy birthday. This is so-and-so. You're, you know, your son mm. wanted me to give you a right. shout out. You know, mm-hmm. that's the same kind of thing. You get paid for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's shoot. I mean, it's a way to make money. I mean, I'm not bagging on the guy at all. It's a, it's a way to make money and stay relevant, you know. Especially that one now. picked up some steam. Yeah, a lot of people were on that. Um, I know a few who were doing it. And yeah, you. so people would pay $200 to have you say, hey, this is um, so-and-so. I want to wish you, yeah, exactly. Happy birthday or uh, happy anniversary, stuff like that. So, yeah, that was one way to monetize things. And I guess you have to look at everything these days, especially in a pandemic when we're not out selling merch and touring. And how's it affecting? I mean, it's obviously affecting everybody, but your business and Six Skins and what's that? With with nobody touring? Yeah, it's just a standstill right now, no? Yeah, it's been pretty rough. I mean, but I mean, there are people that want to, you know, that, that, mm, I would say that they're doing video presentations and they want to look really mm-hmm. cool on video, which has been really awesome. And there's been a few people that are doing like, well, we're doing, you know, a one-off video, you know, uh, shoot for something or whatever. And, you know, sure. those really help. Um, and then there's been a lot of, uh, well, I can't say a lot of, but if there's been a few of, uh, the more hopeful types. That's just, Hey, tomorrow, everything's going to open back up and my band's going to go out there. And we're going to kick ass like we did last year, you know, and, those guys rock, you know, so I'm not bagging on them. <laughs> I mean, they're my bread and butter, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's been rough. It's been rough and not having the touring, you know, especially when you have, you know, specific people that you work with that you have, it's very visual and right. uh, um, you kind of count on that. You, you count on them being out there and be in your face while you, because you can't do it yourself. And especially probably in the in the spring when tours are getting ready, they're building new new set designs and changing graphics, and mm-hmm. that's I would imagine a, a busier time, you know. Yeah, this yeah. time of the year would have been. And now you've been kind of staying busy, busy to a certain extent because you work with a lot of people, and you you work with Hollywood Vampires, which has been staying busy during the pandemic. Yes, to a certain no, extent. No, 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 not, not at all. Okay. No, we had a tour. The only thing that 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 band had, we had a tour in Europe in august and september but that just canceled huh. that was in no but it was in europe though europe's a mess we didn't right i wasn't holding my breath for that tour to happen we were all just waiting to figure you know for hear something one way or the other officially but since places like germany and france are in complete lockdown right now the uh the only the only dates um that i have on the books right now is is we have a week of dates with alice cooper in july but don't know if that's going to happen 
that's it's just just a wait and see. Uh, they're out, you know. It's a couple of them are outdoor festivals, so maybe it stands a a, sh- a, sh- a chance. Um, I got my first vaccine shot today, the Moderna shot. California is open to everybody fifty and over, and um, it was pretty easy. I just made a, I actually made a reservation last night and drove fifteen minutes north of here and got it. Um, it's not going to be an option. It's just better get it done now than worry about it later because touring, getting into certain countries, I, I, if you want to go to Australia, if you want to go to, I'm, I'm sure, a, a multitude of countries, not to mention the employers, you know, the vaccine's not, you know, no, none of us want to go get a vaccine, but it's just, right. what are you going to do? It's like somebody said, we've all done much worse things to ourselves <laughs> than, than worry about uh, the vaccine. I personally have no worries whatsoever. I'm glad I got it. I got a second shot in 28 days and done. And um, if I get called to work in, because I like one of my bands is working in Australia right now. They couldn't take a U.S. crew because of the, they have to quarantine for two weeks when they get there. And it was expensive to put everybody up on salary and hotels for two more weeks and so forth. So, and it's a band that could get away with using a local crew. So they did that. But, you know. What a financial anyway. strain. Yeah, to try and do that kind of thing, you're getting delayed yeah. like that. And you know, it's it's, and you would know more about this than I. But uh, I know that the large venues, you're generally booking those venues eighteen months out in advance. Sometimes, usually a year ahead or something. Yeah, holding yeah. dates at least. And those there's deposits made on those venues, right? And well, yes and no. I mean, if you're Live Nation, you probably own most of the venues. So. <laughs> Well, that's true. That's true. Their, their tours, if you're a Live Nation tour, they're routing and, and putting you with the Live Nation tours. It doesn't mean there aren't some, obviously there's going to be some in between their dates and some some sec, some other promoters mixed in there. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. and deposits, insurance, advertising. But you've been pretty, st- you've been, how do I put this? You've been staying re- sort of busy with Glenn, right? Because Glenn does stuff on his own. And you stay with him. You're like his right-hand man, right? Glenn, we've been working on a studio at his house. He's redoing um, a room he has, building a, a recording studio or slash multimedia room so he can do live streams. And we built a new kit, a new DW kit and rack and kind of just um, upgrading stuff there. And, um, you know, not much, not too much else. There's uh, Living in L.A. has its advantage. I'm, uh, I'm also one of the few drum techs that still lives in LA everybody I know that's a drum tech has moved out moved to Vegas or to the Midwest or somewhere Mm -hmm. more affordable Uh, so I I do get some work just because sometimes I'm the only person here to call and uh, so sessions have been there's there's been recording sessions and uh, I get called little things just to go over and tune drums in someone's home studio or uh, that kind of uh, random stuff but I've been more or less doing um, my focus on photography and, and videography that's something I've never had time to really focus on as a career because I haven't been home enough to really invest in that. But the pandemic opened that door up and that's something that is thriving right now. And every, every band um, needs social media content, video content. I've done some videos. I've done some video for local companies, backline rental companies working on their social media um, headshots, um, everything I can do. So I'm just sort of submerged in that. So making a um a little bit of money at that now, but that's a, that's an ongoing, that's a work in progress thing, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're networking, networking. 
but also, you know, I've got to build a, a solid portfolio of new stuff. I have some pretty good gear, and um, so kind of just getting that going, and and uh, I really enjoy that. That's a creative outlet, and it's um, it's also interesting. It, it's kind of like drums in in a way. It's, it's art, and it's and photography is subjective sort of like drum t- tuning in a sense it's how you want them tuned sometimes i mean there's definitely mm-hmm. bad t- tuning whatever but up or down in pitch or or you know <clears throat> uh, acdc or bottom tuning whatever it is there's no there's no rights or wrongs kind of photography is very similar it's your eye and what you see and, and exposure and things like that can be subjective and again there's there's boundaries but i really enjoy it it's rewarding and when you do good work for somebody um it feels good so that's been my lifesaver. Uh, and I'm just saturated. I'm in like the YouTube university of filmmaking right now. You know, there's so much information on online. Um, so I just kind of watch that shit all day long and, uh, I go out and shoot every day and I'm working on a documentary for a, a friend of mine. So I'm shooting a bunch of LA drummers. Um, there's been a lot of little projects and, um, a lot of, so that's primarily what's keeping me busy, but yeah, that with Glenn, um, done a few shows and i did some stuff with bush uh, over the last couple of months they had a record release and we did a week of rehearsals and three three live streams for for media outlets and then we did an actual live stream uh for this company called fan tracks which is trying to monetize live streaming and that one we did at a big studio in burbank and it was like eight or nine cameras and you log in you create an account on the fan track site and on your account you can select what camera you want to see um if you want to look at the drummer from stage right or left side or from behind singer you can zero in or you can watch the director's mix and also it had a unique thing where everybody who was on the platform it was sort of like a giant zoom call audibly your audio was was in the actual big picture so at the end of a song everybody in their living rooms or wherever they were watching could scream or yell and there was actual audience reaction we didn't get that on the live stage it was still the same problem live streams have is when you finish a song you're just in a, in a dark studio with you know eight techs standing in front of you. There's no audience reaction. So for this one, the band was really good at pretending the audience was there because we knew theoretically they were. And 80,000 people were on that stream at the height of it. So it was pretty good turnout for for what it was. But we did a couple of the only two live shows I've done since March 16th were uh, Bush. We did two fairgrounds that were parking lot driving drive up shows which were not as bad as you would think. The yeah, audience wondering. stands outside of the car. There, there's refreshments, there's food trucks, there's merch. Um, it, it had a lot more energy than I thought it would. And, and people at the end of the song either honking horns or yelling and screaming. And I just Flash remember looking ideas. around, flashing lights. I remember just looking around off the, uh, it was in the round, so we were surrounded by, uh, I just remember seeing all the people standing in front of their cars listening to a live band again for the first time since. You know, wow. So the energy was still there. Ended. It wasn't lost on having to be packed in like sardines. It wasn't lost. It wasn't like having a crowd against a barricade, mm-hmm. it, but it was there. It was there compar- comparatively, especially to like live streams. Like I said, there's, you know, it's just crickets at the end of a song there. You have to, you have, you know, there's no energy coming back at you. So, yeah. Right. Interesting. Right. Wow. Yeah, because yeah, so, I, I was wondering about that with the live performances being done up, you know, on, on like drive-ins, like drive-in movies, mm-hmm. you know, if the people were going to respond positively or if they were going to go, mm, they could be faking anything over there. 
you know what I mean? No, I think people are just desperate for entertainment and to get out mm-hmm. and to, to, I don't think anybody would have cared. Everybody's just happy to be out and see a band playing. And so what they did was they broadcast into the car. You could tune into a frequency and they had a, we had a PA, but it wasn't a screaming loud PA. The PA was mount, uh, meant to offset, I don't know, to, to um, offset what you were getting with um, the, the car or however, however you chose. But, uh, yeah. but it was a PA, but you know. So it worked. That's all I can say. They did a concert series. There was somebody there for, I don't know, two weeks or three weeks every other night or something. And the local crews, man, they were happy to be working. Just uh, never has anybody been, you know, like we all sit around and joke right now about the things that we used to sort of pick on or complain about on tour. Like, you know, for me, it's always the food and catering or something because I... You know, be walking to catering. Fuck, they're just buying this cheap, shitty food or whatever. Or you know, you'd be playing casinos and you, 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 your meals are the they give you tickets for the buffet and you're in, it's just some horrible casino buffet food or something. But uh, whether it's early morning calls and freezing cold, but whatever. Now everybody's like, yeah, I'll take the buffet at any casino. A, a four a.m. call outdoors in the in, in a snowstorm. You know, whatever. Bring it. <laughs> It's kind of what those crews and everybody were like in those shows we did. It was just like, we all, nobody cares if it's pouring down rain. I just want to go see live entertainment and feel some normalcy. So, Yeah, I would, I would, I would wonder uh, budget-wise, uh, budget uh, a production of that manner, uh, would, that, would it be more expensive to operate that sort of a scenario than it is just a live act? You mean... Do an in the round type thing like that with cars mm-hmm. versus well, see I don't know it, it was uh, it was it was per car so I think you could have four people per car I, if I'm not mistaken the tickets I'm trying to remember if it was by person or by car I feel like it was by the car so you could whether it was a hundred bucks or something you could bring four people with you so obviously they're not making as much on tickets as they would mm-hmm. at a hard ticket sale thing if each ticket was thirty forty fifty dollars whatever. I think they get. I think everyone's operating on it. Um, those things are operating on d- deals and discounts right now. The audio companies and everybody is not probably get for everything. They they want to get gear out and keep their crews working and and bring money in. And also because they did it for two or three weeks, there are all your labor costs to go because it's one time build. It's up. Um, you know, all you have is just local crew per day, four guys or whatever, and then some lighting and a couple of techs. You know, there's no daily set up and tear down labor uh so it's cheaper um it must have worked i mean mm-hmm. the, uh, well they wouldn't be doing it more it went on it happened I, i'm I'm sure that the bands too are getting are, are working for decent rates not you know what, what what the band might normally get because a lot of bands want to get out and do the same thing you want to give a couple of days of pay to your crew Mm-hmm. You want you want to do a show first of all. You haven't done a show in six months, and you may it may be the only show you get to do all year. This parking lot show or whatever it is for whatever their their budget was. There's a lot of incentive just to get out and and do the shows, and that's what's been happening. There's been another live streaming stage at Third Encore in L.A. here, and they have sort of a, a plug and play setup, video wall, audio um, in here. Everything is there. Front of house console, crew, technicians. You can go there. Very. I don't want to say inexpensively, I don't know what they're charging, but I mean, it's it's sort of a, a an affordable way to do these live streams. And people are doing them, at, some as pay-per-views, some are doing them for free. Uh, everyone's deal is up to them how, how they want them, if they want to monetize it. But the the bigger point is that a lot of bands are doing it 
just to get out and do a show. And, um, and if those bands are smart, they have Patreon pages. And they have Patreon. And they can sell merch on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But a lot these are a lot of bands, too, that would just be L.A.-based that were here. They don't have to fly people in. There's right. There's so many bands that are just here that can, that can do that. Um, so, yeah, just to, just to get and do a show. You know, because when the pandemic hit, everything happened so quickly. Um, I remember thinking it, it's just gone forever. It just so quickly, the feeling that live shows are a thing of the past sort of set into a lot of people's heads. And, uh-huh. and um, it persisted. We're only just now seeing, I think now, the promise of hope of some normalcy coming back towards fall. Uh-huh. I'm. I feel it. You know. I. I, th- I think we're getting there for the first time right now. A year later. Yeah, I've been seeing some friends posting that they've got some shows that are, you know, and I'm like, dude, I so hope it works out for you, brother. Yeah, I so hope it works. You know. Yes. Yeah. Man, the. I mean, the industry just really, really needs it. Well, some will and some won't. The bigger tour is probably unlikely. That's what's. That's mm-hmm. what the way it's unfolding. And the bigger tours, the multi-truck tours, multi-bus tours, have so much more money to lay out. They have a bigger crew. You have to buy those airfares. You have to buy those hotel rooms. There, you do have deposits on buses and trucks. You have catering companies in some instances, buildings, advertising. The liability is a lot. And insurance companies don't want to take that risk right now to guarantee those shows are going to happen, or they have to pay out if the shows don't happen. So that's one thing. But the smaller bands are the ones that are going to work. They can play clubs. They can play the smaller venues. But when you're just one bus and trailer, four-piece band and four crew guys or something, and that's your whole nut, and you're not having delay. That there is a lot. Le- there's a lot more freedom there in being able to book a tour. And if one show cancels a club date or something, you're probably not going so upside down as uh, on the an arena size tour, where you're uh, you, you more a lot of your profit may be. in if one show cancels, you probably may go upside down on that whole tour. I mean, right. So there's there's issues with the bigger tours much more, and especially the bands that can do fly dates to casinos on rental gear. They can, they're going to work all, all every weekend. I mean, they're, they're going to work all the time. And you're going to have all these little shows in, in the States that take of Newport festivals that every city has, outdoor shows. Those are going to happen. You're going to get all kinds of bands, um, but, you know, bands that can do fly dates, smaller club bands, and some bigger, bigger bands that, that can do shows with limited production. Those are the ones that are going to work. Yeah, because I would imagine after a year and a half, almost two years now, um, <clears throat> when fall rolls around and those tours start rolling, you've got 18 months of deficit. Yeah. And to you can't just go out there and spend millions and millions of dollars on a production. You're going to mm-hmm. have to take small steps to try and recoup and build yourself back up. So it might take a good two, three years for some of these production companies to be able to roll some really good tours you know i would think i would think a lot of things are going to go through an adjustment period um income for bands is going to be down a little bit i don't don't know that meet and greets are going to come back right away Mm -hmm. that's going to be a little bit different um which was a huge source of revenue but you got to stand in a room with 400 people and shake hands so something that'll have to get reworked there um capacities initially may not be the same. I don't know when we're going to put, you know, 20,000 or 30,000 people seated next to each other back in buildings and have mosh pits or, or maybe 
No, no, I'm hopeful. The vaccine's rolling out pretty strong, and late late fall we might hopefully see a fairly full return, assuming variants and and other things don't come in. I'm not thinking about that stuff though. I think we're gonna come back, but um, right. I wonder if psychologically that it's been a long. It'll be it, it, that people might. Yeah, take, it might take a while. You know, to want to be cramped in like that uh, and close up. Absolutely. The money, you're not also not going to be probably charging the same ticket fees that you were prior to this. The, this pandemic happened, you know, I mean, happened at a bad time for everybody. But for our industry, our industry was on a, on a high. I mean, everybody was working. It seemed like everything was selling out. I mean, I, I, I know everything was, every, it seemed like almost everything was selling out. Ticket prices were at an all-time high. Meet and greets. I mean, you, you it's just amazing how many people line up to pay $1,000 for a meet and greet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially for an act all day like long, Alice. and it's, yeah. or you know, any big, 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 big. Yeah. So, all that stuff. So, I just wonder right now with with the year of um, financial instability and everything we've had, is everybody going to have that kind of money? So, ticket prices are probably going to come down. All that stuff's going to come down a little bit until we can ship up. Um, so, the entry, yeah, it's going to take. It's going to take a little while. There's a lot of talk now about crew and who's still going to be available, how many people have moved on from the industry and migrated into other stuff, mm-hmm. how many will come back. Out of um, necessity, yeah. And, you know, I had read, and I don't know how true this is, but I, I had read that um, Live Nation, uh, because they were taking such financial hits, that 85% of that market share got purchased by Saudi Arabia or the United Arab Emirates. I don't know how true that is, but if it is true, I would imagine that would have implications on the U.S. market. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how. I don't know what, what implications that'll have, but it is that that was a story earlier on in the pandemic that a Saudi Arabian company maybe put like six hundred million dollars into mm-hmm. Live Nation. Um, I don't know how that influences anything. If it does, if it's just investment, if it's just money, they're they needed to park somewhere and, and it, Live Nation needed money and there was, was a time to get a stake of ownership in a company that kind of dominates the industry right now. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. AEG borrowed a lot of money. Um, I've also heard, though, from other people that Live Nation had a profitable year somehow. And I don't know if it's just sitting on so much money because they were still sitting on a lot of ticket money that they had invested. And as everybody did well, sort of in the stock market in certain areas, Live Nation may have profited. They may have done well on, on holdings. Um, they cut back and, and cut staff down and everything pretty early on and took measures. A lot of baffling things about this pandemic and how things, how certain companies survived and how it wasn't worse. I, personally thought the stock market would have we would have been in a depression um at some point but that's not what happened for the most part you're right we actually got through this we got through this pretty damn well and we're not in bad shape right now if if things don't get worse if they get better from here we're okay i I think yeah yeah i would i would agree with you i was expecting a lot worse um and I, i was expecting you know i mean i've got that certain element myself that goes Oh man, you know, better be careful. Pretty soon people are going to be trying to break into your house for a loaf of bread. You know, thank goodness that hasn't Mm -hmm. happened. That's what we all thought. 
it could have gone yeah. that way pretty quickly. Luckily, it did. So. Yeah. Well, we've seen like I mean uh, in L.A. we've seen a tremendous uptick in homelessness and, mm-hmm. and in crime here as well. The, yeah. the neighborhood's not the same. And and after the riots, um, you know, I'm I, I I the police took a beating from a lot of different directions there, and um, they're out there right now. They're in four worse. You don't see them, but if you call them, they're they they're here. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're on it. I think they've just really prioritized their efforts into violent crime, and um, to more serious charges. They're they're not so much concerned with. Like, I don't think you can get a traffic ticket in L.A. right now. I don't think it. The smaller stuff, which is the nuisance crime, like your car being broken into or something, those are the crimes that. Right. But they don't give a fuck about that. What they, if you call them though, if somebody's trying to get in your house or there's a man with a knife or a violent crime or anything happening. The helicopter's there in, in about, uh, you know, eight, 95, 90 seconds, and, and mm-hmm. seven police cars are there in 91 seconds, and, and they're aggressive. So they're they're going after it, but there's there's a, uh, yeah, there's a lot of the crime that never used to be in L.A. Just rob, people will pull up behind you and rob, jump out, tackle you, take your watch, um, mm-hmm. phone, and, and take off. Watch thefts, Rolex thefts, jewelry, um, simple stuff like that, and home crime it's all been an uptick but uh, there's desperation out there yeah yeah it's uh it's pretty much out here as well i mean we're, we're pretty much a sister city to what you got going on there now and uh you know and it may, in some ways probably a little worse um but uh could be you know it's uh i hope they get it figured out you know i, I hope they get it all figured out and the, the city council gets their you know, heads out of the sand and figure out that they're, they got to do something, you know, and, uh, but it's, it's not helping they will. Um, having, right. a, having everybody out of work, you know, they will. I, I think there's, I think there's just steps in, in mm-hmm. right now. I mean, the, 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 the homelessness, what, you know, what is the answer right there right now? Where do you tell everybody to go? I mean, they just evacuated right. this, this lake down here. Echo I drove by it recently and I could not believe how many tents were out there. I'm used to seeing it at the underpasses and in various places in LA, but I drove around it was like a festival grounds at Vakan. It was like hundreds and hundreds of tents. And I said, Holy fuck, I had never seen I was like, shit. But so the they just recently closed that down. They kicked everybody out, made everybody leave and they closed they put a fence up around the park. I don't know where do, you, do people just they got to go across the street and now live on the street corner. They kind of had a safe place to live on a park by a lake, and uh, there's no easy answer right now. Yeah, that's Almost true. There will there will be in the future, but we're still in the middle of the pandemic right now. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I just imagine the, the the danger those people must feel. You know, pretty much every hour, every day, every night, every day. Yeah, because any yeah. any second, everything that they have can disappear. Yeah, from numerous ways to mm-hmm. numerous ways, not just mentally ill homeless people stealing their stuff while they're gone for a few minutes or whatever. Um, it's also very gang controlled. Mm-hmm. It's very drug infested, and the gangs control drugs. There, there's. I watch these local documentarians interviewing homeless people in LA all the time, and it's such fascinating, kind of what's going on there. And they talk about being extorted by gangs for for panhandling on certain street corners. 
that to me, I'm like, damn, dude, you're not only are you homeless, you're you're having to panhandle on uh, the corner off an exit on on the 134 or the the 101, but you're being extorted by a gang for a certain amount of money that you take in every day to to be allowed to panhandle there. Wow. And yeah. yeah, I would imagine it's 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 probably the same out here. We just don't see that deep of it. Probably. You know what I mean? And it's not so apparent. I mean, I. I've had where I've been driving home recently and I come to, uh, you know, our, our favorite interstate out here is I-5, which of course, you yeah. know, cuts through your area mm-hmm. as well. And, uh, Comes right through here. Yeah. Yep. And uh, today and on this I-5 overpass, I'm coming home one afternoon and here's this guy with his sign over there and he comes over to my window and he says, give me 10 bucks or I'll knee in your door. And that just doesn't work for me. I'm not going to give you 10 bucks. <laughs> what that does is it makes me angry, yeah. you know, because that you're threatening me. And, and why? I don't even know you, man. I don't know you anything. And I'm like, you're more than welcome to try it, man. I'll give you three holes through your lungs before you make three steps. <laughs> you know, I mean, but it's like, you know, I shouldn't have to feel that way, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it's a shame, but I don't want to get too deep into politics. We try to try to kind of avoid it if we can. Steer you know, clear. Yeah, because it's a man. What a hole you can fall into, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, oh, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Um, but your your show is called Drums and Guns. Right? Drums and Guns, and you know, there's a reason for it. So, guns is kind of like a loose, open interpretation word, and also rhymes really good with drums. But uh, yeah. basically, what it means is whatever the hobby is that the guest is into, and we'll talk about it. Like yours is obviously photography, mm. drumming, and teching. But teching is your job. Drumming is fun. That's number one. Yeah. But photography is your hobby and videography, yeah. And it's saving your life right now. I mean, it's it's, bringing, yeah, hobby it's st- putting food on the table right now. Yeah, we have a couple paid gigs so far, but I'm building on that. And that's a, that's a work in progress that I'm no doubt going to pursue and, and and stay in that's always something i wanted to do but um no guns are cool too i um living in la i lived in miami for 15 years before i moved to la the other city you want to own a gun in um and uh, in miami everybody owns a gun and uh-huh. but there they have much looser carry laws and uh i remember i got certified for a concealed weapon permit in two hours for forty dollars at, at a high school um, classroom one time, um, it's just uh, off-duty police not sign up to teach the course, and um, it's a two-hour course. You sign a piece of paper, and they give you a piece of paper, and you're authorized to carry anywhere except for, for an establishment that sells alcohol, pre- predominantly alcohol, okay. or a sporting event. You know, there's a couple, and they teach you a couple of a couple of things about how you could get in trouble. Um, having a gun in the commission of a felony mm-hmm. and what certain things are felonies like a speeding or, or I don't think speeding was a felony, but there were certain car um, citations that could put you anyway. Um, California, not so easy on the concealed weapon permit. California's got much different uh, gun laws, but I am a strict um, uh, uh, owner and believer in self-defense and that's all my interest has ever been short of going to the gun range for, for sport and to, to stay active. And, um, so I never hunted or done done anything else with guns, but, um, for, for, um, self-defense in my home mm-hmm. always. 
Always, so now what, uh, what, what locked and loaded your, and what what is your home defense choice? Glock twenty three. Okay. All right. Forty cal. Okay. And I only I like that gun for a lot of reasons. That's only I've always I've had two of those. Um, I should have a pistol just to have something with a more hundred percent guaranteed fire rate. Occasionally, um, a semiotic, but uh, I don't sweat that. What what I want is just protection. If I know somebody's trying to get in the house or some of the house, I think um, I think you're a fool if you don't. Um, mm-hmm. It's just common sense to to have that that level of protection. I don't take it any farther than that. I don't take it on the road or any any anything like that. I know people that do. Mm-hmm. I don't have that. I don't live in that kind of fear or that kind of paranoia. But yeah, I don't want. I'm not going to be sitting in my house and have somebody coming in the back door, kicking the back door in, right, and, and be defenseless. Mm-hmm. And uh, also living in in North Hollywood or in Miami, both we have we have high incidences of of. Um, home invasion and crazy, crazy people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm a big, big proponent of that. And so I keep my certifications and all that stuff up. And I went and bought a lot when the riots happened. I'll tell you that I felt, cause you know, like when I lived in Miami, um, I was always prepared for when you have hurricane, hurricane stuff. So you obviously, Obviously, have water. Is it probably a generator, fuel? You have things you need so that if a hurricane hits, even though you do have three or four or five days warning when that's going to hit, the stores empty out the next morning. Right. You, you, so you, you either bought it in advance or you're that guy that's waiting 10 hours to get a sheet of plot, whatever. Um, we're roadies. We, you, know, you think of advance of this shit. We don't, we don't wait until the problem's too late. So gun's the same. And I just realized when those riots happened that... There's no amount of police that's going to save you if people are trying to get into your home. At that point, the police were completely, um, there was nothing they could do. They were overwhelmed. They, the only thing they could do is stand by and and try and protect what they could. But uh, if they if people were here now that those riots never went into in, um, into residential homes, even on Melrose Boulevard where they com- they burned basically tore. To Melrose, burned and looted. Our residential homes, of expensive residential homes, not one that I'm aware of ever got touched by by anybody. Nobody ever went oh, that good. direction with the riots. It was all against yeah. businesses. It was all against, you know, sort of the you know. But had they, yeah. right? It's a different story. You know, there was a gentleman that had told me one time years ago, and I believed him because you know. He's killed people, and I hadn't. <laughs> now, yeah. granted, it was he, he was in the military, that, yeah. and he had to do it. The day's not over yet, but yeah. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, but he goes, you know, <laughs> there's a there there are certain people that do not have any qualm against taking your life because they don't think like you do. And he goes, and sometimes you'll be able to see it. You'll see it in their eye. You'll know when your life means nothing to them. And that's when you better have first strike. Because if you don't have first strike, they will kill you. And you know, I never thought I'd be in that situation until I was. And I wasn't armed and that scared the living bejesus out of me because I had no way to defend myself. That's the fear right there. And that's Uh where I never, that's where you you don't want to be. You never want to be, yeah. 
Yeah. And basically the only way I got out of it was because I just reached behind my back like I was armed. And the guy took off, but it was the only way that kept me from getting a cracked skull from a baseball bat. So. And the the, th- the feeling there, though, is it's such a, a terrible feeling to be in that position, not because you're about to get killed by the guy, but because you know that you had a way out of this and you just weren't prepared. It's sort of that's the feeling mm-hmm. I would have mm-hmm. if somebody were c- coming in in my back door right now, some meth um, guy in basketball kicking in the, and I wasn't armed or didn't have any way to protect myself. That's the feeling I would have. I would just feel like such a fucking, you know, because you, you, you probably had it on your list of things to do or something, you know. I, I, I should have done it. Gosh, you can. But uh, there's a lot of peace of mind just knowing that you're okay. All right. So here's the other thing is having lived in Miami all those years, I saw tor- I saw uh, hurricanes destroy neighborhoods, toothpick mm-hmm. entire neighborhoods, and people who hours ago lived inside their homes now live outside of their own homes. Right. And I saw the National Guard walking through those homes with right with machine guns in groups of four. And I saw that I saw the heavy looting and the crime that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing happens up here when there's fires in Malibu and those houses get evacuated when they call an evacuation zone. There's looting that mm-hmm. happened a lot in, in recent fires here. And there's the big obvious one here that comes with no warning is the earthquake. So when the earthquake happens, the home that I'm in right now, I might be living outside of you know 10 minutes from now and once that happens so i'm super prepared for that kind of stuff like i keep in my car stocked things that i would need i have an emergency supply bag case of water change of clothes sunscreen hats sunglasses things that if you're all of a sudden i have a i have two backpacks next to my bed that are with all my important stuff that i would need if i had to get up and get out of the house and this is also for fire or you know i just prepared that way i've always been that way A, yeah. But a gun, you're not going to have. Uh, you're not going to have emergency services. Uh, telephone poles, trees are going to be down. Structures, emergency services aren't going to be there. That could be cracks in the road too big to even get through. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be on your own. And to be on your own in the somewhere, some nice sweet town in the Midwest, you might be all right. But in in North Hollywood, you're going to be devoured by yeah bad elements from various parts of LA because it's just yeah the city will eat up everyone, everyone it can get. What's going to happen? So either prepared or you're not. Yeah, I, I advise everybody to have a bug out bag, you know, yep. just to be prepared. And if you can do it yep. in a manner where you don't feel uncomfortable to have at least a way of providing food for yourself in it, yep. whether it be right. through hunting or foraging or foliage that you pick up or a book telling you what you can mm-hmm. or can't eat out there um but something that keeps you separate from the system so that you're not reliant Mm. upon somebody else for it um because i say you know if the entire system goes down everybody's going to go is going to be looking out for number one nobody's going to be looking out for you and i feel that if if that situation comes down i need to be able to you know defend myself defend my wife and then the neighbors come second you know, friends come second and third. Um, but beyond that, it's get the hell out of here. Get away as far away from the house as you possibly can. Get away from the city, get away from the town, as far up into the mountains as you can, if you can. And try to build a little I keep a full tank of gas. Yeah. 
We'll take a guess. Yeah. I I, I, re, I refill just below a quarter tank. I, it's just I have it for numerous reasons. One, also if you had to if I had to leave this for earthquake or fire or whatever else, I still have a um a car to go to with heat and climate control and, and my stuff in it to sleep in and and uh, and that's gonna have to get me far enough away from this town if this town doesn't have services and is is got an issue so mm-hmm. yeah fuel that's uh, i i remember in miami i was i was uh when hurricane andrew hit which was the uh, big one um 92 or whatever i remember going driving around south miami on federal highway i remember uh, it was like i need to find a bathroom so i thought i'd go into a gas station there were no gas stations uh-uh. it was just gone everything was gone you couldn't get fuel, uh-huh. and that, but that was a narrow, a narrow storm. You know, the f- for, go a few miles north, and things got normal pretty quick. But just saying. Yeah, I, I lived Paris. in Florida for eighteen and a half years. For the unexpected. So I got I yeah. got to experience you know all through the eighties and the nineties down there, so I got to experience Where were you? hurricanes. I was in Tampa area. What city? Tampa. Oh, in Tampa, yeah. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. uh, you know, young when I was younger, I was over on the other coast in Melbourne. uh, That's what I feel like. I remember you being in Tampa or Melbourne. How long? Not too long ago. How long? When did you uh, leave there? uh, Almost 20 years ago. Oh, all right. But uh, yeah, I've been living out here almost 20 years. Um, It was actually Jason uh, that kind of came out here and visited him and kind of figured we better move out here. So we moved out here. Mm. But over that 20 years, man, we've been watching this place. God. You know what? I remember when we very first moved out here. Uh, at the time, it was like you flipped on your blinker when you're on when you're on the interstate. You put on your blinker. People would slow down and they'd wave you in. And then within about mm-hmm. what seven years, it became you put on your blinker. They speed up and flick you off. <laughs> it's like wow, the attitudes changed quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's well, pretty I'm, crazy. I moved to LA in two thousand. Everything's changed. Mm-hmm. Everywhere has changed. Yeah. When, mm-hmm. when I moved to LA in 2000, we slept with our windows open at night. Um, doors being locked wasn't you know, freak, you know, but not 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 this LA right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I looked up. Down uh, in, uh, I, I don't I even on, walk at night. My, this neighborhood is even. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I went on Google Earth just out of curiosity, look at my own childhood home of when I was a little kid. And it was, I remember it, you know, cause we'd go out in the woods, we'd hunt alligators and stuff like that, you know, it's so redneck and everything, <laughs> but you know, that's where we lived. And, and so playing around in the swamp right. and I see Tampa. that swamp is actually all condos now. And it's all just mm-hmm. a big freaking city. The whole entire town is a big city now. And it's like, man, I don't even recognize it. It's kind of crazy. Kind I think Florida too. has built out everywhere that it everywhere that it can. Uh-huh. South Florida, I think it's built out. I don't think there's land they can still build on. That's why housing got so expensive in the last ten years or twenty years. Uh-huh. Um, and it's but so it's continued to grow a lot. Um, even Miami, which is one of the more expensive cities in America now, is uh, 
nonstop growth and a lot of industry moving to Miami. There's a lot of, because uh, it's still kind of affordable there compared to, it is an expensive city in terms of your day-to-day things, like a, a Starbucks is more there than, than here and certain, certain things are more, but it's still cheaper for a lot of industry and businesses to locate there and operate there than it is, especially, for instance, California, because you don't have that 10% tax, there's less regulation and business tax and so forth. So they're getting a large influx of tech industry from California right now, Miami is. People are leasing up a lot of office space down there and relocating their companies. So mm. it's interesting. I don't know. I lived there a long time, man. I just outgrew it. I love LA. Yeah. I can't outgrow LA. Yeah, we were there a few years LA, ago. In my opinion, yeah. And uh, I was a total tourist. I mean, we went with family and stuff. It's like, oh, we got to go see the Hollywood mm-hmm. sign. We got to go to Disneyland. Anyway, totally did the tourist mm-hmm. shit. But, uh, you know, I remember being young and starting off in music and everybody taking off and going to LA. Everybody got to go. to If you want to make it, man, you got to go to LA. And it's like, you know, every single one of those guys, not one of them made it. They all went there and they all moved back to Florida. Well, all right. So Florida had a good music scene back then, first of all, in right. the eighties. It did. And Fort uh, Lauderdale, the early nineties. Uh-huh. You did too. You had rocket club and all those uh-huh. places in Tampa. You had, you know, bands could tour year-round playing a different good living. You could play your original, work on your record and your original stuff in between. You could still make a good living with the band. And it just had a great, um, Miami had a good metal scene. Um, North Miami did. And mm-hmm. there were a lot of recording studios. It was a lot going on there, but no, still LA. I feel today, even if you're gonna try and make, I still think it's the best place to be. Um, a lot of people move here, and not everybody makes it. Right. Um, depending on what their definition, because it's you're sort of seen and be seen. At least you're here. If I I run into people I know all over town, um, I get work. To sort of. By living simply by living here, sometimes, a lot of times, right. it's it's still my but it's my favorite place in the world to be anyway. So it's kind of a win win. Um, I could go to Vegas like a lot of people and save money and and work at it, but I don't want to. Uh, I, I love LA. Mm-hmm. Would you it's say still, that it's those been days, good to me since I've been here? Would you say those days in LA are gone? That were no. Where you okay? Well, let me finish now. When you would go out and you would mm-hmm. play a club, like you'd go play the whiskey, and record execs would come and send, you know, talent seekers out there to check out, you know, Hey man, check out this guy. He's the hottest new thing on drums or this guy's the hottest new bass player or whatever. And then you're going, man, we got signed by that. Is that still going on in LA? I think so. Um, obviously things are a little bit different than what it was then. I know what you're talking right. about when you do record label showcases and a bunch of executives will come out and say, uh-huh. yeah, you know, yeah. but, um, no, it's just different now. And there's, um, I mean, look how, how the format has changed. First of all, bands can become, artists can become popular. And I don't even know if those people will come out to see you until you already are popular on social media. Uh-huh. You true. can develop a following on social media before, uh, and that's almost like a prerequisite prerequisite i think for if you are an industry executive thinking about putting money or signing a band as as management or to a label i think you still you have to have a big social media following first i mean that's you can do that on your own and mm-hmm. it's, it's the artist that generated good buzz whereas it used to be generating that buzz by playing shows at various clubs around town now it's just sort of through social media but i see i, I follow that stuff pretty close 
deeply and I see what people and I, I I see a lot of artists that do get good social media followings uh, and then generate uh, label interest or, or management. Um, I see bands coming out of LA constantly. Um, so, you know, it's still here. The, the creative community is here. The, 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 the um, PR, the um, social media companies, LA is still, still home to all that stuff. It's still the one, the one place where you want to be. And there's still those venues in LA that showcase new music and, and new artists all day long. Those venues will put five artists a night and artists get popular in Silver Lake and Echo Park in West Hollywood and wh wh wherever they're kind of nesting. And um, so, yeah, it absolutely still exists. Yeah, we, we saw a big change out here with the club scene and it, it uh, you know, it used to be a lot freer um, but then it, before the, uh, the pandemic, it got to be where it became more of a pay to play type scenario. And, uh, which of course, mm -hmm. you know, Florida wasn't like that, you know, Florida wasn't pay to play at all. I mean, you no. just went out there and you played Never your was. gig and hopefully there was door money when you left, <laughs> you know, well, the clubs, the clubs paid pretty good salaries for bands to come in mm -hmm. for seven nights. You had all the circuit bands. Yeah, and like with any market, um, Florida, it's the same as out here. You basically, you know, you become friends with the club owner or whatever, and you basically got it made. I mean, you're, you're pretty much golden if you can be cool with them. And, uh, mm -hmm. and they're going to ask you back as long as you're, you know, you're pro and stuff, you know. But. I mean, I guess what we've seen, though, in general, has just been the general decline of like nightclubs, I think, mm -hmm. as a whole, compared to the, the 80s and 90s, where that's that's kind of what we did in nightclubs. And I know in LA, anyway, most of the good clubs here, they're all gone. Sunset Strip is, you have the Rainbow Room, the Whiskey, which is the pay-to-play. Mm -hmm. um, the Roxy is still 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 moving, and have, they're, they're the, the breaking artist, which I define as, driving by any night of the week and seeing a line going two blocks around the corner of people waiting to get in for an artist I've never heard of. Mm -hmm. That happens all day long, but that's the, those are the new artists. Um, they, so they have that following, but house of blues, key club, a lot of your other standards and all the great places in LA. There's been a shift. I think everywhere in the country a little bit, mm -hmm. but yeah, definitely more towards social networking. No doubt about it. And people having to basically use uh, and depend on social networking to get their following, you know, and if you can get enough views, then you get the advert. Yeah. It's funny how it works. The monetization of, of social networking in general is, it's a totally different creature than the way it was 20 years ago. You know, you put bills yeah. out, you know, now you just make a Facebook post and hopefully people come to your show. Or more than that there there's, you, you can be very talented First of all, because of technology and, and what you can do with cameras and things these days, you can make a pretty badass video if you're creative. And look, the whole thing is how creative can you be? That what an artist is and what an artist does to come up with something that's truly unique or truly different or truly something that people are going to find interest in. So you can you can create a video in your in in your house, a decent high quality. 
you can put that on numerous websites now. TikTok has been a breaking, uh, has been a great spot for for talent. Um, I think it's like a talent showcase in a lot of ways. TikTok and your other sites, um, uh, Instagram, and and um, there, there's um, a lot of outlets today, YouTube and Facebook and whatnot, to promote your music. But um, yeah, it's how cre- and and so if you can be creative enough and put out something that's interesting, then people will talent rises if it's if it's good people will watch it you'll gain followers and you'll gain followers as an artist or as a band on social media mm-hmm. and when you start getting a million followers on social media for a band that's not signed or unheard of that draws a lot of attention but mm-hmm. and you can do that today and there's bands going totally independent outside of the system anyway they don't even going through agents and you know or asking for um or not agents as much, but labels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a whole different business. Yeah. It's but it, true. it's also, it's true. And, and they're balancing streaming that I, I mean, I keep hearing that that's starting to, to balance out a little bit. You still have to have a, an insane amount of streams to make a lot of money on streaming, mm-hmm. but it's, I think it's getting better. It's where for a long time people weren't getting anything out of streaming. It seemed like, but I, t- I think that tide's starting to turn a little bit. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, well, I think it's like with every every uh, new step in this web technology with the streaming and everything else, um, every time you get a new step, it gets kind of goes to that spell of nobody really knows what to do with it. How can we exploit it? Let's right. get as much as and deadlessly, you know, and then it becomes uh, more governed, if you will. It's just funny how it works out that way. Yeah, it's funny how it works, and you you have to be a master uh, at social media these days. Though that's also a, an important part of it, or have hire somebody that is. Mm-hmm. There are some tweaks you can do to a video to use your. Uh, it's not just releasing it to the wild. It's very carefully, strategically planned thing with. Um, and there's all kinds of sites and tags and things involved in making that successful so that's mm-hmm. a, yeah i mean tours today have social media people on tour too i think that's incredible mm-hmm. when tours have social media I forget what that title is called social media person or whatever to that's a necessary thing on tour these days yeah 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 because you got to so, put out what's going on, on stage tonight or what's going on you know on the bus tonight you know and if you can keep people enthralled and you engagement keep subscribed yeah engaged right right well, that's where I'd, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see a, a model as a fan where I can buy sort of inner circle time. Like I get the band carries around the camera. You know, I get I can tune into the tour bus for 10 minutes and save the other 20 minutes for the setup or what have you. So I can buy, you know, allotments of time as as a fan. Now, granted, they're going to have to be on probably better behavior. Um, or not. I'm sure. Yeah, or not, I guess. You know, and they're not. explicit content, I guess. But uh, I'm still kind of, because I'd love to see, see the way he works, uh, that Mike works. You know, I'd love to get that real behind the scenes and, you know, nitty gritty. And um, I don't know that that's available. Maybe it's been done. And it just hasn't come to my attention. It, well, there's a demand for it. People love to see 
behind the scenes stuff. We've done experiments like with Glenn. We shoot all kinds of drum cam and and um, set up pictures. And some, sometimes it's those pictures just of a drum kit half built in, a, in an empty arena that get many more hits than what, what you would think would be the more popular one. But yeah, I don't know if anybody, I don't know. See, I always thought, remember, remember years and years ago, Madonna came out with a movie that was her on tour. She was like one of the first people to do that. And it was all sort of B-roll and footage of her backstage at tour and what goes on. Uh, I mean, it was a movie, but so then you had um, Ozzy Osbourne's reality show that was sort of went back there a little bit, but slowly we've gotten um, in, in this place where I think somebody just needs to do a straight up um, reality show with a touring band, a big touring band, but somebody it's gotta be like the right, it's gotta be a pop, probably a pop artist, um, like a, maybe like a Miley Cyrus tour that has 20, you know, that has 15 dancers that has a, a big entourage that has a lot of money Got a lot of drama and you could follow around a lot of drama simply put yeah that would be interesting to watch i don't see anybody doing that i mean i think it should be done i think even like you could i mean kiss on their farewell tour should probably be doing that metallica does a cool thing have you seen the tuning room videos Mm-mm. you ever seen their tuning room Go to just YouTube no. Metallica tuning room. They video their their warm up in their tuning room before a show every night. So it's like forty cents of them in ears, everything, a whole nother guitarist, a whole nother set of techs that even do it. It's amazing. Yeah, that's that stuff's well, great. People love that. So it's that's what you got. Seems like an easy pitch. Yeah. Seems yeah, like a, you would think, particularly during the pandemic, it'd be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, you gotta. You know, I mean, it's it's a way to stay relevant and stay engaged with your audience, right? I like the idea, though. It would be really exactly cool right. if you could do that. If you could, if you could have an artist that you watch, but then what artist is going to go? Because even Ozzy Osbourne, I'm interrupting myself a lot, but even Ozzy Osbourne says um, that doing that show kind of sucked because you're all you always have to yeah. be on. You never can relax. You're constantly on for the show. And so your artists, you know, that go out there and bleed for three, four hours and give everything they've got, they don't want to do it for another 16, you know? Well, that's why I think a tour would be different. Like Ozzy did it because he, he was, that was, that was on him specifically in his family life. And they had cameras in the house in every room. They were, what they had to do was record 24 hours a day to be able to, for, they had to record 24 hours a day for several days in order to get enough interesting footage to make a 40, uh, a, an hour long show, whatever it was, mm-hmm. just cause you need all that. But if you do it, cause you're not the, the content specifically about that artist, it's really the, the tour and the backstage nitty gritty stuff that goes on. So it would be your tour manager, your, all your dancer, you know, again, there's, believe me, there's, there's so much that happens. There's so much inter crew personal, you know, just on, on our own tours, it's hilarious sometimes. You know, Ooh. when you live on a bus with twelve, like with twelve people for years, you get to know those people so well. You, you fight. It's brotherly love. It's not never anything, but it's in the heat of the moment. You know, and somebody's leaving the bag of chips open all the time, and you you're like, why the fuck do you open the bag of chips, and then walk away and leave it wide open for hours so they go stale so nobody else can eat them? Like that simple thing becomes um but there's so much 
so much drama and so much hilarious stuff. People get in so much trouble and in so such weird situations. I mean, it's yeah. So it should be done, but I guess nobody wants. I don't know. Have you gotten in trouble? Have I? Oh well, I don't. It depends on what. Um, <laughs> what trouble means. Definitely had some good times over the years. Um, I mean, touring is 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 um, touring in the '80s was much different than when it, there weren't many rules back then, and drugs were much more acceptable and a part of the industry. And you know, you could have 25 people back to your hotel room after a show, and nobody cared. And can't do that stuff today. It's more sterile, and the drug culture, and I guess. Maybe it's different for, depends on who you work for or whatnot, but at least me, I'm 54 years old. I've calmed down a lot, and uh, most people my age So, In the 80s, the, it, there was a lot more things that don't happen today happen. There, you know, I had incidences of having guns pulled on me through maybe three times at gigs in the 80s, and... Um, you didn't have communication like you do now. You didn't, you just, that was pre-pager. I was lucky to get to tour in that time frame. It was pre-pager, pre-cell phone, all that, 86, 87, 88. And, and uh, you know, it was just not, not a lot of rules. And that, yeah, that was, you guys are, you guys all have much head, more, much more interesting device. times. Now you're being watched. Now it's a corporate business. Now you got live nation and, and a lot of people, you have to be, you know, now it's, um, but that, I'm still saying uh, there's plenty of hijinks out there. <laughs> it's, it's it's still there in, in, in a lot of regards. But what were you saying, Jason? Um, I was going to ask what your actual role is. And you've mentioned tuning and and setup, and I was wondering if part of miking the kits and and are you swapping out snares because the song's in a different key? Um, like what what is your activity at a performance? Oh, all that stuff. Um, loading, uh, unloading the truck. Um, I supervise backline coming out of the truck in the mornings when that's. Then uh, I start building drums off stage somewhere while the stage is being set with lighting and everything they're doing up there. Then my drums get either you know forklift or however on stage, and then it's it's head changes. Maintenance is a big thing. I like my Alice Cooper's my number one gig. That's the 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 one we work. Alice works a lot. That's like a hundred shows a year, and it's cool, cool, great artist to work for, and it's a great camp. And the shows also, it's it's very international, so there's great travel involved and whatnot. But the maintenance end of it, because we get to build this cool these cool kits with Glenn X and the drums, electronics. And the maintenance end of it, anybody with a big kit will tell you it's like a, it's like having a classic car. It's like it's very similar. There's always little pieces to maintain. There's a lot of pieces that have moving parts, pedals, and and hat stands, and thrones, and and um, there's a lot of uh, spots, a weak spot. Anyway, so it's all that stuff. It's, and then it's cleaning a lot for me. I'm a big Gibraltar chrome rack. It's fun to clean every day. And I, for me, I like. And most guys will tell you that for a car, also like a classic car, to shine and drums to shine and symbols, everything to be. That's just pride and passion and what you do. Um, 
so <clears throat> it's all that stuff. Then we have sound check. Um, we do a line check early in the afternoon, and the band either come in or, not, or, or don't come in. These days, the band doesn't come in a lot for sound checks once we get going because we're we're all on, and everybody's on in ears, and we're able to reproduce the sound every night pretty accurately. And even the past year, the whole band went to Kemper's, so they're not even using live amps on stage, which made everything so much more consistent because the Kemper sounds. You're not dealing with plate, you know, the variables in miking a room and how it sounds and stage volumes and stuff that you normally wear. So our mix is pretty consistent every night. So no need for bands. You usually come into a sound check. And uh, no, it's it's more it's set up uh, practice rooms and then um, at the assisting end of it when Glenn or whoever I'm working for gets to the building, making sure they're comfortable and have everything they need and sticks and stuff in their dressing room. Um, Ordering supplies, ordering heads, ordering parts, maintaining all those relationships, thinking about what gigs you have next. If you're if you're travel if you're if you have fly dates with rental gear coming up, you got to advance that stuff. Or if you're going to Europe and you have um, manifests and to figure out what gear you're going to bring, and it, there's a there's always just stuff going on like that. Um, then the show itself um, is is so like during the Alice show. And a lot of times, for most of the artists I work for, I get to run a lot of um, click tracks or electronics, which is good. Kind of the more the better. I like doing that stuff. And uh -huh. um, so with Alice, I run all the samples. Um, the the we don't, we don't use any tracks in that show. That's a live band. Uh -huh. The drummer gets a click in his ears. He's the only one, and and that only goes sometimes a, a couple of bars in the beginning just to get out of one song into the next. And the Alice shows all back to back songs. There's no time to even think from when. It, so when the, those clicks, but they're very specific. They come in and out of certain spots, and sometimes they stop in a song, and I got to punch it back in, stuff like that. Then all the samples, the school bell, the poison sample, the intro, the um, different uh, things in the drum solo. Um, I don't know. There's like 10 or some different samples and sounds that I triggered during the Alice show. And... Um, so then I have um, triggers and stuff on the kit for Glenn's drum solo, some different sounds. So I kind of toggle through different settings to give him different sounds on some pads that he hits just for drum solo to have fun with. And um, so get, getting through the show, and of course there's all the little things that can happen, dropping sticks or um, you know anything that could interfere with the, the kit not functioning 100% or, God forbid, sometimes bad cables or whatever happens during the show. If, if electronics don't work, then calling uh, monitor levels if something doesn't sound right um it's everything you just gotta that that's the part of the, sh the day i like the most because you're insanely focused for an hour and a half um sort of riding that line trying to get through that that show flawlessly and and uh it, it, you know my day's not over till really the, like after the show then i can rest a little bit 